Remember the, the last time we were still in Masechet Psachim and we almost finished it. So today we're going to finish it and then to start Masechet Rosh Hashanah, I hope to do it before Rosh Hashanah, but we didn't make it on time, so we continue from there. Uh, the last, uh, I want to just refresh our memory. The last time we, the last subject that we spoke about uh, was about all the treasure that the nation of Israel took out of Egypt when they came out after 210 years of slavery and the defeat of Pharaoh and his army and his nation. The nation of Israel came with large treasure out of Egypt. And then we described, if you remember, all the journey of this treasure, how it went from one nation to another. Everyone was robbing this, this treasure in a war, as the Bible described, the Tanakh described, and until it ended up again in a circle, and it ended up in Israel again. Today we're continuing, and it says like this. עתיד הקדוש ברוך הוא לעשות סעודה לצדיקים. One day, one day, after the Mashiach will come, the Messiah will arrive, after the resurrection of the dead, now we're waiting for that day for already thousands of years, after all these great prophecies in the Tanakh that describes these great days, one thing will take place. What is it? It will be a, a special meal that God would make to all the righteous people who lived in history. Since they all resurrected and came back to world, to life, it will be a gathering of all the legendary figures that we know from the Bible. And the, the Gemara, which is the Oral Torah, describe what's going to happen that day. Listen good. Hashem will make a, a meal for all the righteous people and they serve the glass of wine as we know when we make Birkat Amazon it's more recommended to do it with a glass of wine it's more respect for the mitzvah when we, when we pray after the food that we eat we have the glass of wine it's more mitzvah to do it why all the mitzvot in Judaism relates to wine somehow, to the grape? Why is it? Because according to the Torah, the, the tree that Adam ate from was a grape tree. Yeah, not apple. The Christians made it in their cartoons and in the church, they made it apple. But the tree, the truth is that it was a grape, grape tree. And a grape, it's a fruit that symbolizes the nation of Israel more than any other fruit or vegetables. Why? Because every other vegetable or fruit, if you know how to mix between two different kinds, you can create a new kind. Like, like they take an orange and a, and, a, and a grapefruit, let's say, and you can make mandarin or something like that. So, you know, there's all kinds of new fruits coming out, like kiwi. I heard there's a combination of strawberry and melon. They took the seeds of both of them and they created a new fruit. So it's a man-made fruit, you know. God made the seeds. You take two different seeds, you mix them. Or like you take a white person and a black person, you mix between them, you have uh, half and half. Like, uh, what do you call it, chocolate? 
In Israel, you're not allowed to mix, but the Goim, the non-Jews are mixing, like the Arabs, the Romanians, they're allowed to mix. The Jews are not allowed to interfere with the, with the foundation of the creation. It's one of the sins not to mix. And that's why the Torah forbid the farmers to plant things too close one to another. The Gemara says each kind, how much, you ha- how, how much distance you have to keep from one tree to another, that the roots will not get mixed. But one fruit does not get any mix. No matter how much you're going to try to mix it with another fruit, it will, not, it will always reject it. What is it? The geffen, the, the grape tree. And that's as God ordered the Jews that they are not allowed to mix with any other nation. As the Torah says, you should not get married to any other nation. And I, and I explained it in my other lectures in here and in different places. It has nothing to do with the Gentiles, if they're good or, ba- or bad, they love the Jews, they hate the Jews, they, uh, they're intelligent, they're not smart, they're rich, they're poor, it's male, female, has nothing to do with that. It can be the nicest Gentile in the world, the nicest one. It can be a decent person, it can be a lover of God, it can be a goy, a Gentile that God loved very much, like many other famous Gentiles in the Torah that were righteous. Uh, still, you take the most wicked Jew on earth, which the Gentile is a million times better person than him, the Jew is still not allowed to marry him. So it's nothing to do with good and bad, like some people think. It's just that God say, this is my nation, this is the children of Israel, the children of God, and they are supposed to stay only among themselves. However, if the non-Jews are converting and they become officially Jews, that's a different story. They convert. Now, not only that they are Jews, you know, 36 different places in the Torah, God obeyed the Jews to give them extra respect, to love them, to help them, to be nice to them, not to be cruel to them. And there's a list of instructions. It's called Ger Tzedek. Converts, Ger Tzedek. But only if it's a real Ger Tzedek, real convert. Unfortunately, unfortunately, the truth is always painful that most of the converts today in the world are not real. Most of them are not real because they either converted for a job or because they met an Israeli boyfriend or a girlfriend and they fell in love with them. So that means if it would be an Ahmad, they'll convert to Islam. It's really no difference for them. In order for them to reach their destination, you know, what do I have to do? I have to become Chinese to marry you? Okay, I'll become Chinese. I have to be an Arab to marry you? I'll be Arab. What do I care? Anyway, I don't have any religion in my heart. Even as, as a Muslim or as a Christian, I, did, I didn't follow God so much. Here and there, I went to the church once every 10 years. So for me, it doesn't really make a difference. Why not? I'll join. It doesn't mean that that's the right way. You have to know. The way to do it is the rule, the first rule that applies to these converts is that they have to say and that they have to mean every word that they say, that they're accepting all the rules of the Torah 100%. If they say, I will accept 99.9, but this commandment and that commandment is too hard for me, I cannot do it. So they tell them, come back when you're ready for it. Right now you cannot convert. The dumbest thing to do is is to convert when you're not ready to keep the mitzvot. Why? As a non-Jew, you can be very righteous by keeping only seven laws. Very easy to be a Gentile that is righteous. Very easy. You should not kill. You should not steal. You believe there's only one God. 
you don't eat any raw animals before you slaughter them or kill them in any way. You obey the rule all of, this, of the court and the police, and you don't worship any idols, and no sex crimes with the seven relatives. Here you are, a righteous, no, righteous Gentile. So sex crimes with the, with the seven uh, relatives, most of the Gentiles in the world, 99% of them, don't even dream to do such a thing. So right away, they have this commandment. Most of them are not murderers, so they have that one. They don't eat raw animals in our days. It's not in style, so they have that one. Uh, they, uh, so they, most of the, unfortunately, in, by Christianity, they have a serious problem. Like they believe that God has a son. So that's a very serious problem for Gentiles. They have to believe there's only one God, no partner, no son, no father, no brother, no cousin, no wife, no nothing. Just one God as the Ten Commandments order us. So a, 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 a Christian that doesn't believe in JC, he believes in one God, or a Muslim that believes in one Allah, which is one God, then he has this commandment as well. Okay, they, they do not worship any idols, very good. So one sin is very popular by most people in the world, is stealing. And stealing doesn't mean you have to be officially a thief that rob banks or breaking into your friend's apartment and steal his, uh, his, his items there. No. Being a thief means you work in a company and you're using the phone to make private phone calls without permission, or you're getting a stamp when you need to send a private letter and you take a 40 cents and you put it on a letter. It's only 40 cents, but you become officially a thief because God watch everything you do. So this is the main problems that the non-Jews have in this world, that from the seven laws that they have to keep, this commandment they are very weak with. They either cheat in a business, they steal, they do. It's not that Jews don't do it, they also do it. But the punishment of the Gentiles from stealing is much worse than the Jews. Did you know that? Almost in every sins, the Jews have a much more severe punishment. Much more severe. But, for instance, I give you an example. If a, if a Jew meets a girl, he can never touch her finger or even look at her before he marry her. Right? But by the non-Jews, if Christine met Chris and they want to move in tonight, they just met now, 9 o'clock. 10 o'clock, they want to live like husband and wife. It's not a sin for them. They're not getting punished. They're allowed as much as they want. Tomorrow, they want to break up, so they shake hands, goodbye. She meets somebody else. She lives with him as many times as she wants. As long as she's faithful to one guy and he's faithful to one girl, it's officially a marriage for them. They don't need to go to the priest, to the Qadi in a mosque. This is all man-made rules. Officially, they get married, end of story. They marry together between me and you. I want you to be my, my uh, soulmate. I want you to be mine. They move together, no problem. Jews cannot do it. They have to go to a ceremony. There are rules. They have to prepare for the wedding. It's a whole thing. So obviously, but one thing, one thing is for a non-Jew that steals, he gets a much worse punishment than a Jew that steals. And most of the non-Jews in the world have no religion. Even those who call themselves Christian, how many of them really goes to learn the New Testament, to go to church, to follow what the priests say? Most of them don't care about it. Hey, yeah, I am. You know, that's what it's all about. Muslims are more connected to their religion, but you have many other uh, different goyim, uh, Japanese, Chinese, all kinds of idols worshippers, Indians in the world. Everyone has his cult and, and belief. And this kind of goyim, 
they don't have an idea that by stealing, they're making a horrible sin for them in front of God. They don't have an idea. Why? Because they don't read the Torah. You understand? But in the Torah, after the flood, we're going to read Parashat Noach, and this coming Shabbat, Hashem said to Noach the seven laws. This before Judaism started. This is 900 years before the Torah was given to the Jews. 900 years. Noach, he had three sons, all together eight people. His wife, eight people started a new world 4,200 years ago after the flood. God told Noach seven laws to keep. And then from then, for 900 years, every person in the world, including the Hebrews, had to keep those laws. After the Jews received the Torah, then came God and added to the seven uh, commandments 606 extra commandments, which more than half of them is sacrifices in the temple. In the time of the temple, we don't have the temple today. So right away, half of the commandments are obsolete until the Mashiach will come and they build the third temple in Jerusalem. More than half of the commandments are dismissed right away. Why? No, we don't have Masrot of the farmers in Israel, the 10% from the wheat, the barley, all this uh, to give it to the Kohen, to the Levites. We don't have all this because there's no Bet HaMikdash. We don't have Bikurim. We don't have the three festivals. We don't have all this. We don't have the holiday sacrifices, Shabbos sacrifices. We don't have the morning sacrifice. We don't have the evening sacrifice. We don't have the, all the repentance of people who committed sins. There's no animals slaughtering anymore. I'm wondering to myself, what's going to happen when the third temple will have to be built? All the animal rights activists will lay down in Jerusalem on the road. They will not let the Jews bring all these goats to the altar. Are you kidding? Who's going to? 2,000 years ago, who cared about animals? <laughs> animals are animals. Today, people marry their animals. I'll never forget that I went one time for Shabbat to Upper West Side. Over there, there's a Jewish community over there, and the synagogue is one in one building. I think it's a college dorm, something like that. So in the second floor, they have a cafeteria in the lobby. They sell candies. There's elevators, people coming in and out. But for the Jews, it's Shabbos. They walk. They walk. They don't take the elevator. So I saw on the way out of shul in the evening, Friday night, when I came out, I come out from the door into the lobby, and one woman... She came out of the elevator, and what happened, the leash of the door got stuck inside the elevator when the door closed, and the elevator started to go, and it choked the, choked the, do the dog, and he died right there in the middle of the lobby, or maybe 50 people there coming in and out. It's a very busy lobby of a building. I can never forget what this woman did when the dog died. If I'm telling you that even if a woman just lost her baby like this, she cried much worse than when a woman lost her own child. She was kissing him, pulling her hair, screaming, fainting, then bringing water to her. So for her, the dog is more, is more precious than an own boy. Imagine if it was a sheep, let's say, and now they have to take this sheep and, and sacrifice it in Beit HaMikdash. She will commit suicide to prevent it. And you have millions of people like this in the world. They won't let it happen. It would be a big... Uh, I wonder what's going to happen. Well, let's go back to what we started with. So in, the, in that day, Hashem is making a huge meal. And he brings all the righteous people. And they give the glass of wine to Avraham Avinu, to Abraham. And they said, you deserve to be the one who makes the blessing on the wine. Right? So I started to explain why all the mitzvot in Judaism relates to wine. 
because since Adam made the sin with wine, right, after the, he ate from the tree, the purpose of the Torah and all these commandments is to purify and correct the world. You ruin the world with the wine, you'll correct it with the wine. That's why every mitzvah is wine. Shabbos, Kiddush, wine. Avdalah, wine. Uh, Brit Milah, circumcision, wine. Pidyona uh, Ben, they make wine. Uh, almost every, Birkat uh, Amazon, you have wine. Every mitzvah, Pesach, four cups of wine. Sheva Brachot, wine. What else? Everything. Everything wine. You understand? So this is it. Okay, now, so uh, Abraham says... I cannot say a bracha. I don't deserve it. Why I don't deserve? Because remember, it's all the righteous people sitting there. Moshe, Moses, Aaron, Yitzchak, David Amelech, King David. All the important people sitting there in that huge meal that is going to take place. So he said, I don't deserve. They ask him why. He said, because I had a son that is a wild beast. Who is he? Ishmael. The Torah says that Ishmael is a pere adam. What does it mean, pere adam? A wild beast. Now you understand where all the terrorism comes from. Sometimes they have no control. You know, if there's no killing, no murdering, I cannot rest in peace. I have to do it. Why? Because God said on the descendants of Ishmael, you should know, that you should know one thing. Many people make mistakes. Not every Muslim in the world is a descendant of Ishmael. Not all of them. Only the Arabs. Not the Christian Arabs. The Arabs from the Arab countries. Some Arabs in Lebanon are Christians. They joined Lebanon in a later date and they officially live with the Muslims and speak Arabic. But they're not descendants of Ishmael. Who are the countries that most of them are descendants of Ishmael? Egypt, Libya, Tunisia. Iraq, Syria, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, all these Arab, official Arab countries. However, Iran, they're not Ishmaelim. They're not descendants of Ishmael. It's a different country. They adopted the Islam in a later date. Later, after Muhammad, it arrived to Iran, and today you see what's happening over there. But they are not the descendants of Ishmael. Same thing, Muslims in India. They have nothing to do with Ishmael. Later, they receive Islam in India. Uh, Indonesia, they have nothing to do with Ishmael. Uh, in, in, uh, in all African countries, the African countries, many of them are also Muslims. They have all these names, Muhammad, this, they're not Arabs. They're not Ishmaelim. So only the Arab, the pure Arabs, even today it's very difficult to know if every Arab is a descendant of Ishmael. Why? There used to be a king in history, his name was Sancheriv, and he made such a revolution in the world that people were running from one country to the other and all the Gentiles got mixed between them. So, for instance, there is a cursed nation in the Torah that called Amalek, but nobody knows who belongs to Amalek. Nobody knows. You cannot point at one Gentile and say, this Gentile for sure is Ishmael. This Gentile for sure is Esav. This Gentile, for sure, you don't know, because the, the, all the nations got mixed so much that there's no way to know. But most likely, most likely, you see that the Arabs that came out of Ishmael, they stayed in their own place for the last two or three thousand years. So they are probably the descendants of Ishmael, but you don't know 100%. So 
Ishmael, Abraham said, I had Ishmael, I don't deserve. They give it to Yitzchak, to Isaac. Isaac said, I also don't deserve to make a bracha. He said, why? I had a son, he was wicked, his name is Esav. You have Jacob, who was righteous, but the Torah said that Esav was a hunter, not learning Torah, not keeping any mitzvot, and uh, I don't deserve. So they say, okay, Jacob, no, Yaakov, what's with you? He said, I cannot uh, make a bracha. Why? He said, I married two sisters in their lives, even though it was prior to the acceptance of the Torah, it was legal, because the Torah wasn't given. Jacob is before he went to Egypt. The Torah will be given 210 years after Jacob, after the slavery. But since he did it, it's, not, it's a stain in his record. You know, like later it's going to become an illegal thing to do. He said, I don't deserve to do it. No. So Jacob didn't want to do it. No, they went, continue, they went to, they went to Moshe Rabbeinu, no, Moses, Moshe, the legendary, most righteous person ever lived. No, who deserved more than him? So he said, I don't deserve it. He said, why? He said, God punished me. I never entered the Holy Land. Not in my life, and not after my death. Even usually if a Jew dies here in New York, they write in their will to, his, to their children, take me to my grave in Jerusalem. So they take him in Elal, they put him tomorrow as a funeral, finished, right? Many of them do it. Moshe said, even after my death, I didn't have the merit to go. So I am not worthy of making this bracha. So what, what, they come to Joshua, to Joshua. No, you took Moshe's place. You make a bracha. He said, no, I never had a boy. My descendants is cut. I didn't have a boy. God didn't give me a boy. That means I don't deserve to make a bracha. So they come to David, David Amelech. They come to him and say, no, you. So he say, Ani avarech, I will make the bracha, and I deserve to make the bracha. Shenemar, where does it say it? In Tehillim, in Psalms. Psalms 216. There's 150 chapters. 115, remember. What does it say? Kos Yeshuot Esa. This is when we make the bracha. We always say it, but we don't realize. Kos Yeshuot Esa, uveshem Hashem Ekra. I carry my cup up and call in the name of God, right? Who said it? David Amelech. Why he said it? Based on that day that when Mashiach come and they make that big meal, and that time, David Amelech will make that meal. When will it be? It should be around the holiday of Sukkot, which we just had a week ago. Something very special about this holiday. We have two important, we have three important holidays. We call it the festivals, the regalim, Shloshet HaRegalim. Shavuot, it's the holiday we got the Torah. It's only two days. In America, two days. In Israel, one day. In the exile, it's always double, two days. Okay. Then we have Pesach. And then we have Sukkot. We have Sukkot and then Pesach. But the, what's the difference between Pesach and Sukkot? It's interesting. Pesach separates the Jews from the Goim completely. There's no permission to the, to the Jews 
to, to invite a Gentile to eat from the sacrifice of Passover. Not allowed. Only members that gave their names prior to the slaughtering can eat from that goat. Even other Jews that joined them later, he cannot join it. If a Jew is not Shomer Shabbos, it's like a goy. He cannot eat from that. A convert that, let's say, was circumcised but didn't go yet to the mikveh cannot eat from it. Somebody that is not pure in certain times when the minority of the people were not pure, they tell them you cannot eat from it. There will be a second Passover a month later, right, in the 15th of Iyar. Then you will have your own goat to sacrifice. Pesach, even in Lena Seder, it's a complete separation between the Jews and the non-Jews. Why? Since we came out of Egypt, we went to freedom out of such slavery and suffering, it has to distinguish, to separate completely between us and the nation. Sukkot, exactly the opposite. If we read in Haftarah, when we read in a synagogue, it's speaking about the, the, the war, the last war that will take place in the world. Two-thirds of the people in the world will die. It's describing 100% an atomic war. Without a doubt, people's eyes are melting, millions of people are dying in a moment. It has to be an atomic way. Remember, this was written more than 2,500 years ago, when there was no bullets, no guns, bone and arrow. In a generation like this, the prophet says that the last war, what we call Gog Magog, will be nine minutes, and two-thirds of the world will be dead in moments. And the other third will have a trial period. Many of them will not survive. Some of them will survive, and then comes all the Messiah and the resurrection of the dead and all the miracles. After all the tragedies and the salvation, what does it say? What did the prophet say? Who remembers? All the Gentiles, the, right, the righteous Gentile, who are the righteous Gentiles? Those who kept the seven laws and those who helped the Jews. Those who respect Israel because they recognize them as the holy nation, the children of God. They were not anti-Semites. They supported the Jews. I'm not talking the state of Israel now. No politics involved here. The Jews in general, whatever they are, in Japan, in China, in India, and in the United States, it doesn't matter. So people like this automatically got themselves a status of righteous Gentile, and they will survive those horrible days. And what will happen, and that's what we say in a prayer every day, the words of the prophet, and in that day there will be one God with one name. Today, many, many cults, more than 80,000 religions and cults, each one of them have a God or an idol, and a different language, and churches, and mosques, and Hindus, and Buddhism, all kinds of things. At that day, nobody will have a second opinion or a third opinion. It will be everybody understand the God of Israel is the only God. However, it says that the Goim, the Gentiles, will come to celebrate the holiday of Sukkot. That's what it says. I was very surprised when you read it. What does it say? That all the Gentiles will come to celebrate the holiday of Sukkot. Sukkot is interesting. In the holiday of Sukkot, in the time of the temple, the Jews used to slaughter 70 cows. All these cows were for who? For the 70 nations. We each cow to one nation. Even though if you look at the map today, you have more than 70 nations, right? More, or maybe more than 300 nations. 
The 70 nations that the Torah speaks about are 70 roots. For instance, the Arab is one nation. Even though they separate them to 12 or 15 countries, they all belong to one man, Ishmael. So all of them is one unit, Syria, Lebanon, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, it's all together, it's all brothers. They have the same language, the same tradition, the same names, everything the same. Same thing in India, you have so many different cults and different groups. It's, in reality, it's, it's two or three nations over there, that's it. South Korea, North Korea, who cares, South and West, or North? It's one country, one nation. All together, 70 nations. And each nation has an angel who is in charge of that nation in heaven. It's like the lawyer that represents their case. So the Gemara say, twice in history, the Goim destroyed the temple, and they have no idea that who did they hurt? They hurt themselves. Because the Jews were sacrificing every Sukkot holiday as a special sacrifice for this nation, for that nation. And a sacrifice, it's a repentance for all their sins. It gives them better life, better living, better everything. So by destroying the altar, they're actually damaging themselves without knowing. Only the last sacrifice of Sukkot was for the nation of Israel in Shmini Atzeret, the last day, the eighth day of Sukkot which Sukkot officially over. In Israel, it's seven days. The eight days, another holiday, Shmini Atzeret. So only the last one was for the nation of Israel. All the other ones was all for the nations. So everything around Sukkot, it's like, a, it's like welcoming all the people around to come to join the nation of God. So we're continuing. We finish Baruch Hashem Masechet Pesachim. We're starting Masechet Rosh Hashanah. The Gemara says like this, Rabbi Eliezer say the world was created in Tishrei, first month in a Jewish calendar. Sometimes you find in a Torah that Tishrei is the first month. Sometimes you find that Nisan is the first month. Why? It depends for what subject you are counting. We have different counts. Sometimes we count from Nisan to Nisan. Sometimes we count from Tishrei to Tishrei because it depends what we're counting for. We'll explain in a minute. So Rabbi Eliezer said the world was created in Tishrei. The month of Tishrei, which we're just finishing it on Friday. Friday is Rosh Chodesh Cheshvan. This Friday, the month is over, but we're still in Tishrei right now. Still in two more days in Tishrei. So this is the first month. The world was created in Tishrei. In reality, the world was created in reality on the 25th day of Elul according to his opinion. Tishrei was Friday, the sixth day in the creation when God created Adam. We don't really care so much what happened before Adam, the animals and everything that was created, the sun, the moon, the water. It's important, but for us, the calendar really begins on the birthday of Adam because when the world was empty of people, what's the purpose? Once Hashem created the first man on earth, from there we count the calendar. So that's why I say Tishrei, which is the first day of Tishrei, it's Adam. That's why we have Rosh Hashanah, first day of Tishrei every year. 5,771 years. Every year for the birth of Adam, his birthday becomes the judgment day of all the people in the world. Jews and non-Jews, animals, trees, everything. Then, what else happened in Tishrei? In Tishrei, all the fathers died. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the month of their death. In Pesach, Passover, Yitzchak was born, Isaac. Isaac was born. 
which means a year before the angel told Sarah that she's going to become pregnant, she conceived, she's going, she was 90 years old, 89 at that time, and he told her, in one year you're going to have a, and a, and a baby, and she laughed. <laughs> An old woman like me can have a baby. Hashem came to Abraham and said, why is she laughing? As anything that I cannot do, it's for me difficult to make a 20 years old pregnant, or, or 80 or 90, it's any difference for me? Anyway, I control life, and I decide who becomes pregnant or not. If she'll be 5,000 years old, I can still make her pregnant. What, what's to laugh about? No. So, Rosh Hashanah, when Sarah was conceived, we said. When Rachel also was conceived. Rachel. How do you say Rachel in English? Rachel, no? Rachel. I don't know how I became Rachel, but fine. Then you have Hannah. H Hannah. She also conceived. Hannah. Then we have also in Rosh Hashanah, in the month of Tishrei, the beginning of, of the year, Yosef, Joseph came from the prison. How many years was in prison in Egypt? How many years? Twelve years. Twelve years. He arrived to Egypt when he was 17. Young boy, 17. His brother threw him to the pit. The Arab, they sold him to the Arab for a price of a pair of shoes made in China, 20 bucks. The Torah said, very cheap. The Torah said the price, price of a pair of shoes, nothing. And, they, the, and the Torah also said that the Arabs were selling perfumes. Why the Torah has to waste a verse? You know, the Torah is very, very short. It's, mamash, it's less as possible not to make it from here to Tel Aviv, right? So it's very, very short. Everything is very brief. So the question is, the question is, why all of a sudden the Torah said that these Arabs were going to Egypt and there were, their, their profession was that they're selling perfumes? Because usually the Arabs used to sell oil. They always had oil, right? In their countries, they sell oil. Gas, gasoline, oil, whatever it is, right? So oil was always an important thing. The world needed for fire. So most Arabs, when they walk in the desert with their camels, they carry oil. But these Arabs were carrying perfumes. So the Torah asks why. Why the Torah highlight that fact? Because God didn't want Joseph to suffer more, more than the decree that he made on him. The decree was that he's supposed to go to Egypt as a part of the plan. One day he's going to be the leader, the salvation of Israel comes through him. But in the meantime, it will take a few months to get to Egypt with the camels, or a few weeks, whatever it takes. He doesn't have to suffer the horrible smell of this gas, the oil. I want to ask you a question. Let's be serious. Who cares now? Your life is over. You're 17. They sell you to be a slave in Egypt. You're not going to see your father and, and brothers anymore. Your nation are over. Your history are over. Somebody going to kick you like a dog. Do this. Clean here. Go bring water from the Niles. To smell a little bit oil. That's, that's the relief that God gives Joseph. The smell? Well, what's the relation here? So I saw a beautiful explanation. He said, no, nah, it's not about this. Whenever Hashem decree 
a tragedy to a person, a punishment, any kinds of thing, inside the most horrible situation, there is always a message, I'm still with you, I didn't leave you. There's always something encouraging. Like he can put you in jail, you're stuck, no kosher food, you don't know anyone, all kinds of murderers around you, you don't know what you're doing there, your wife is at home, nobody knows where you are, you want to jump from the window and kill yourself. All of a sudden, one policeman with a star David come, oh, you're Jewish, yeah, what, you, you okay, do you need something? Yeah, give me a glass of water. No big deal, so you got a glass of water. Let me go to the bathroom. So he said, okay, come, I'll open the gate for you, I'll take you to the bathroom. No, what's the big deal? You're in prison, who knows how many months you're going to be there. A little thing, just to show you, don't worry, I, I'm still watching you. I still didn't leave you. It's a part of the plan, don't break. This is the message here. No? So, we're continuing here. So, what else happened in Tishrei and Rosh Hashanah? In Rosh Hashanah, the slavery stopped in Egypt. Rosh Hashanah, the, 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 new, the, the new Year's Eve, the new, year's, the new day of the year, Pharaoh ordered the cops, the police in Egypt, to leave them alone. That's it, no more building. The construction stopped. What else? In the month of Nisan, the month of Passover, it always falls around April, what happened in that time? The nation of Israel came out of Egypt. There was the, the salvation. When will be the next salvation? It's a contradiction, an argument, I should say. One opinion is going to be in Tishrei, in the month of Tishrei. Tishrei atidim ligael. And one opinion that it's going to be in Nisan, in the holiday of Passover. Why? Because usually it's a cycle in heaven. When the month has a good blessing, Every year it's the same thing. Rabbi Yoshua say, it's, an, it's a very, very famous argument between Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yoshua. Why they arguing? One said the world was created in Tishrei, one said it was created in Nisan. The one who said that everything was in Tishrei, everything I mentioned until now happened in Tishrei. The one who said it was created in Nisan, everything that, ha that I mentioned happened in the month of Nisan. So what's the argument? Because the, the, the misunderstanding here is the Torah said that all these things happen in the first month. But there are two first months. The first month is Tishrei and sometimes is Nisan. Since sometimes the Torah used Tishrei as the first month, sometimes Nisan. Where do you see in the Torah that Nisan is the first month? This month for you is the head of all months to certain things. Tishrei for different things. Very interesting. Even Tu Bishvat, the 15th day of the month of Shvat, it's the beginning of the, of the year cycle of all the trees. The trees. Not how much water the trees will get. When the decisions about the water, how much water the world will get, in Sukkot. That's why they, they spilled water on the altar. Usually it was always wine. When the sacrifices, they used to put wine, special wine. And Sukkot is the only time of the year that they put water on the altar. Also, everything, you see, we change the blessing in a prayer from dew to rain. When we're doing it, the last day of Sukkot. When is the first rain in Israel? Always Sukkot. As a kid, I remember, whenever we build a sukkah outside, 
in the middle of Sukkot, always the celebration is over. All the kids run inside because the rain begins. In Israel, it's always like this. Now, you see, Israel, it's not New York. New York, you can have it all year round, the rain. One, every week you have rains. But in Israel, you have season. Six, seven months, you don't have any rain. And then you have five or six months that you have rain constantly. Okay. Then, there are four different judgments to the world. Four different subjects, four different trials. In Passover, God decides how much grain, the five kinds of grain, how much grain the world will have. It will be a blessed year or it will be shortage. All the commodities, you know, like the, the, the wheat, the barley, the, the oat, all these things, the, the rice. So everything is decided when? In Passover. Like I just said, in the, when we change the blessing to rain, how much rain and fruits the trees will have. In Rosh Hashanah, in the holiday of Rosh Hashanah, which is the first day of Tishrei, every human being and every animal's life is determined. Are we going to live this year or are we going to die? Are we going to be sick or are we going to be healthy? Are we going to be wealthy or are we going to be poor? Are we going to get married or are we going to stay single one more year? And millions of other things that apply to us, Jews and non-Jews, and even to the animals. Everything is decided on Rosh Hashanah. Every person and every creature in a creation has what? Has a file. And Hashem decides what's going to happen in this year. Then, Rabbi Yitzchak says, one good thing, it's important for a person to scream to God. When a person has a problem, it's very important that he not only pray to God, he scream with all his heart. He doesn't have to be in a synagogue. He can be in his own home if he's embarrassed. But when he scream with tears to God, his chance to change his decree is much higher. Now you may think it's only good when, when you scream before God is making his verdict. After the decision was made, what's the point of screaming? You can scream until tomorrow. The Gemara say no. Even after it's sealed, you scream, it's still productive. It can still help you. Then, Hashem saying, Rosh Hashanah, you blow the shofar. It reminds me about Abraham taking Isaac to slaughter him on the Moriah mountain. That's where the, the western wall is, right there on the mountain. When you blow the shofar, what's the shofar? It's the horn of the, of the ram that was stuck in, the, in a bush, in a tree over there. So but when Abraham slaughtered that animal instead of Isaac, it brings a lot of mercy to the Jewish nation. That's one of the secrets of shofar. Then make me your king and the king of the world in the holiday of Rosh Hashanah. And automatically it helps you in, your, in the verdict that I make for each one of you as a nation in general. Then... Amar Rabbi Yitzchak, three things, three things are bringing up the sins of a person to trial. It's like a, the prosecutor jump. Your honor, 
Look what else he did. Here, here, here. He brings everything in front of the judge. What are the three things? When, the, when a wall is about to fall, it's tilted. It's not standing straight, and it's not all the way down. It's beginning to, you know, to, sh to shift. Tilt. What's the connection? I'll explain in a minute. When a person pray to Hashem, and right after he finished the prayer, he begin to check what happened with my prayers. And when a person says to his friend, you owe me money. Give me the money. And he said, no, you owe me. No, you're right, I'm right. So one of the people, usually it happens a lot. You know what? Don't give me the money. Hashem will be a judge between me and you. And he, and he leaves. Right? It happens a lot. This is a very dangerous thing to do. Why? Maybe you're right. Maybe he owes you money. Maybe he's a thief. Maybe he's a crook. 100%. In that particular case, you may be right. But... Even if you're right in this specific case, you're not always right. Maybe you're also a thief. Maybe you owe money to this guy Ruven or to this guy Shimon. You also owe money maybe to your salesman, to, to your employee, to your ex-wife. There's all kinds of things, no? There's, there's, the people owe money, no? So by coming and telling him, you know what? You don't want to pay me? Hashem will be a judge between me and you. What does the Satan do? Say, Hashem... This person asks you to be a judge between him and him. But who do they judge first? You. Why? You cannot come and tell God, judge him, because he stole from me. You're right, he stole from you. Before they check if you're not the same like him. Because if you're worse than him or you're just as bad, <laughs> what's the point? You know? Imagine a drug dealer, so another drug dealer. The police know them very well, that they are in charge of all the market here in New York. So one drug dealer comes to the judge, Your Honor, look at him, he sells drugs to kids and kill them. <laughs> What's going to happen to him? The judge said, get out of my face, you chatsuf. You're coming to complain about him, you're much worse than him. Nobody will take him serious. Same thing here. Why, uh, why a wall that is about to fall on the head of a person right away open up his file? Why? Because... He needs now a miracle to get saved. He put himself in a dangerous environment. Not the wall is only a symbol. It's not necessarily literally a wall. Any kind of danger. You go to Harlem 2 o'clock at night with a bag full of diamonds. In the neighborhoods over there, you see all these guys with their guns looking at you over there. And you walk with your diamonds, and you went through and they didn't touch you. You, you know, the little delicate guy, walk with a nice fancy bag. What's your chance to walk through? And nobody will call you, hey, what's going on over there? It's dangerous. No, it's a dangerous neighborhood. Statistics show. You made it through. You should know that God made you a miracle. Because naturally, it's a, you put yourself in a minefield. But because you got saved, they take away from your credits, from your rewards to the next world. Some of it was used to save your life. You have to know that. Then, why when a person prays and begins to review if God listens to him or not, right away they open up his file? Because if you are so pushy and you don't have any patience, 
and you keep looking and looking, no, what's going on? I pray to God every day for baby boy. I pray, it doesn't happen. What's going on? What's going on? He had, she had, what about me? So the Satan said, okay, let's check if he deserves. Most of the things we get, we don't deserve. We take it for granted, you know. We don't deserve. We, we just, whatever we get, we always want more. This is the nature of a person, right? One guy, he was judged by the court to get 39 patches with a whip. They used to have a special whip made from a calf. That it's not so hard. Cow skin is much harder. The meat and the skin is much harder than the calf. The calf is there, it's soft, much softer and lighter. So they make it soft that it won't be so cool. You know, you deserve whip, but it doesn't have to be so, 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 such a killer. So he told the guy, listen, you have to hit me now 39 times. How about I give you a thousand bucks? And you don't hit me so bad. So the guy said, okay, okay, put the money. <laughs> so they pushed the money in an envelope in his pocket. So the guy goes like this, so turn around. He goes like this, everyone is watching. He goes like this, but you know, it doesn't really hit him hard. Oh, and the guy scream, it's all a show. For 38 patches, the guy scream, ah, ah, it's like Broadway now. <laughs> then the last one, he gave him such a hard one. The guy almost collapsed. <laughs> so, so the guy said, oh, it's not fair, you're cheating. I gave you money, what is this? But why you gave me the last one so hard? He said, I wanted you to know what a great deal you made. <laughs> if I wouldn't hit you the last one like this, you think, ah, how hard it could be. Now you know what you got saved from. You understand? That's the way we are. <laughs> you have to know. Okay, so anyway, it's uh, three things right away opens the file of a person, as I mentioned before. Then, four things are overruling a judgment against a person. There is a judgment against you, a decree, and it can be canceled. What are the four things that can cancel a decree? It's a final decree. After Yom Kippur, it's sealed already, finished. And God forbid a person's supposed to die, uh, problems, who knows what. It could be a lot of tragedies. Four things can change it. One is nice amount of charity that he gives out. Second, he screams with tears to God in his prayers, and that can still overrule, conclude, con cancel, or delay the, 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 the ex uh, 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 processing the, the punishment against him. Changing his name. That's why many times when people have cancer, God forbid, it became an epidemic. How do I know if a person is sick or not? Usually they add Chaim to their name. Chaim means life. So if his name was Yosef, so all of a sudden became Yosef Chaim, or Chaim Yosef, or Yosef Chai, or Chai, always Ochaya, if it's a woman. Chai means alive, to be alive, to stay alive. Why? Based on this Gemara, it's in Rosh Hashanah. Changing the name means the decree is on that name. And the name is significant, the name is important. Many times in history we saw that people behave like their name. Who they are. Uh, the Gemara brings a story that three of the Tanaim, three of the chief rabbis of 2,000 years ago, they went to a motel. On the way, they went to a motel, 
And uh, they had, you know, in the old days, people used to carry their money in a bag. You have a bag inside your kilt, you're wearing a kilt. That's how they used to carry that. There's no bank that you can pull ATM, and it's different days, you know. So, they come, so many people, when they went to the hotel, they put their money with a signature of the owner of the motel. He has a safe, like a safe with a lock, and they put it over there, and in the morning when they leave, he gives it to them, right? So they came to the hotel, and they asked this guy. It wasn't, it wasn't a Jew. They asked him, what's your name? Why do they care his name now? You want to give me your money? Give me your money. You go to Citibank. You ask the teller, what's your name? Mm-hmm. Give him the money. Now, because you trust Citibank. You don't care about the teller. You trust the bank. But over there, it's a different story. There's no bank. It's an individual. You have to know. So they ask him, what's your name? He say Kidor. Kidor, it's his name. What's Kidor? There is a very bad verse in the Torah, Kidor Tahapuchot Hema. Kidor, it's actually two words. Ki, it's because. Dor, it's a generation. Because it's a generation of revolution, which means it's people that likes to do the opposite of the truth. That's what the Torah speaks about. So he say, if this guy has such a negative name, I'm not putting my money by him. The other two rabbis told him, ah, what are you talking about? So they gave him the money. In the morning, they want to leave. So they come and say, hello, Mr. Kidor, please give us the money. So what money? So what money? <laughs> what money, he says. That reminds me about another story. Don't worry, we'll return back to the story. One rabbi... Two, two, two guys went to yeshiva together. They learned all their life. When they became 20, one went to business and one continued to learn. The one who continued to learn 20 years later became a chief rabbi. He has his own yeshiva, he has many students, he's teaching them Torah. One time he had to go to overseas to collect money from the wealthy people to support the yeshiva. He gets to some city. Who does he see? It's the head of the community, a wealthy guy, his friend that used to learn with him in yeshiva 20 years ago. How are you? Eh? He said, oh, you here? He said, yeah, I'm here already for a week. I'm leaving after Shabbat. He said, come, come to my house for Shabbat. You stay by me. So he had like more than $10,000 he collected so far. He has on him a lot of cash. So he told him, listen, I don't, want, I don't have where to put the money on Shabbat. He saw that he's, he has a beautiful mansion. He's very wealthy. Yeah, what's $10,000 for this guy? So he said, here, keep the money for me. Give it to me when Shabbos ends. So he treated him like a king. You know, he's rabbi in a shul. He speaks. Everyone's giving him respect. Shabbat is over. He's hugging, kissing. He's about to leave. He said, no, he forgot something. Where is the money? He said, which money? What money? The money I gave you yesterday. He said, ah, come on. Oh, most important thing I forgot. When they went to shul, the rabbi saw that the people in the community, it's very strange, they all scream when they pray. You know, we pray, we're very quiet. They scream, they jump, all of them, like 100 people, they scream, they scream. He said, this is crazy people here. What's going on here? So when they eat together at the dinner on Friday night, we ask him, tell me, why the community? Everyone screams so strangely. So he said, ah, forget it. He doesn't want to answer. He's avoiding the question. Next day, ask him again. He's ignoring the question. He said, okay, probably he doesn't want to tell me. Okay, so now Shabbat is over. He said, where is the money? He said, what money? He said, give me the money. He said, what money? You're mistaken. He didn't give me any money. What? Just 
four hours ago, what are you talking about? It's, the whole yeshiva is depend on this money. I'm sorry, friend. Uh, up to here, you know, you're blaming me for something I didn't do. I treated you like a king. Don't blame me for that. What? He begins to curse him. You crook, you liar, you thief. I should have known better. So he's jumping, he's crying, he's running around. So he said, wait, wait one second. He comes, he went to his vault, he brings the bag, he said, here is your money. <laughs> so he takes the money, now he's relaxing. So he said, what was this whole show about? He said, why did you scream so much? <laughs> he told him, because uh, you killed me, you just killed me. You know, I was thinking, well, what's going to happen if I lost all this money? I'm walking around for a week here. He told him, you see, that's my answer to your question. When it hurts, you scream. You understand? If it doesn't hurt, you come to pray. I say, God, I love you. Thank you. Good man. You know, uh, when you're dying tomorrow, God, I'm dying tomorrow. Please have mercy. No. Ah! Why? No? Like crazy. They tell you run crazy naked on the street, you get saved. What do you do? You do it. <laughs> you want to leave. <laughs> so anyway, so this guy is telling them, Kidor, what money? What money? She, the rabbi said, wow, all this money we carry with us, what are we going to do now? There's no witnesses, it's only us. What are we going to do with this guy? So they saw that this guy had on his beard, you know, in the old days everyone had beard, there was no Gillette yet. So, so everyone had some, when they ate, you know, when people that have bushy beard, they always get dirty when they eat, especially if they eat soup. Bean soup is thick. It sticks to the lips, to the beard. So he saw that he has some bean soup on here. So they asked somebody outside, tell me where this guy lives. They said, that street, that house. So they went to his wife. They knock on the door. It was afternoon time, you know, after lunch time. So they knock on the door and they say, hi, your husband sent us to get the money that he gave you. Yesterday, last night, he gave you a bag in this color with such and such money inside that belongs to the Jews. So your husband said that he changed his mind. He wants the bag back in a motel. And the sign that we're not lying to you is that you made him bean soup for lunch today. That's the sign. He told us to tell you. <laughs> so she here. Oh, very good. If he told them such a secret, they, they wouldn't know otherwise, no? So she said, oh, hold on. She, she goes, she bought all the money. They take the money. She said, thank you very much. When this guy came back home at night, she said, wow, it was great that you told me this trick with the bean soup. <laughs> what bean soup? <laughs> right away, he took an axe, split her head open, he killed her. So the Gemara said... When you wash netila, may the Jew eat pork. The little water that you clean your fingers and your beard, may the person die, which is worse. That's why mayim achronim is more important than mayim rishonim. How mayim rishonim made the Jew eat pork? So in the old days, they used to have in the, on the roads restaurants. Not like today, fancy, but restaurants, they cook food. But they have Jews and non-Jews. And you know, kosher food is always double. It's always been double the non-kosher food because it, it's a longer process to supervise. So they have one section for the kosher, one kitchen, one kitchen for the non-kosher. But the tables are the same tables. 
People bring their plates and they eat. So how do they know who's a Jew and who's not? People don't go with the tag with their name, right? And even though if a person has a last name that is Jewish, it's not necessarily means it's Jewish. Your name can be Cohen and you're Goy. Your name can be Christopher and you're Jew. It goes by who your mother is. The last name goes by the father. So your father is a Goy, your mother is a Jew, your last name can be Chris, but you're actually a pure Jew, 100%, no mix. I mean, it goes always by the mother. And on the other hand, your name can be Cohen or Levi or anything, you know, Abraham, whatever, Rosenberg, whatever, and you're 100% non-Jew. So the names doesn't mean who you are. So how do you know who is a Jew? It's very difficult to know, because everyone had beard in the old days, and everyone covered their hair, even the goyim, everyone. Everyone was walking with their hats or some kind of... Like today, you see in the Arab countries, in many countries, the ladies, the men, they all have some kind of cover on their head. How do you know who is a Jew? Whoever washes his hand. They have a sink, like a special place with water, and the Jews, they wash their hands before they eat. So one not religious Jew, he's not so religious, he comes, he takes the bread, he sits on the table, and he doesn't wash his hands. He didn't make netila. So they assume, like, uh, like the goyim, eats without washing. They don't do special netila, you know? So they sit and eat. So right away, they, th- they thought he's an anjou. So they serve him pork. He wanted meat. They bring him, pork is cheaper. So they bring him pork. He's not glad kosher. So he had pork. Then in the end, they see that he takes and he makes birkat amazon. So the owner of the place, he says, wow, I'm sorry, listen, I just gave you food that is not kosher. Wow, what did you do that? He said, because I follow everyone who comes to see if they wash their hands, and that's based on that. I know what to serve them. So the Gemara says, see, Maim Rishonim, what's the worst he's ever done? He made a Jew eat not kosher. No, but it's not as bad as murdering someone, no? It's nothing to compare. But the Maim Achronim that people don't pay attention to made a person die. This is the wife of this kidor. Just before we finished, so the change of the name, and so we said, Tzedaka, Tzedaka, Shinui Hashem, Veshinui Maase, and of course, Tshuva, becoming righteous, changing your evil way. If you change your way, automatically it helps you. How do we know all these things? How do we know that these four things helping? The Gemara bring the proofs. And God said to Abraham, Sarai, your wife, her name wasn't Sarah. The original name was Sarai, with Y in the end, Yud. Don't call her Sarai anymore. Her name will be from now on Sarah. Sarah. And in the end, I blessed her, and so forth and so on. So when the blessing came to her, only after her name received the hay, the hay of God, right? It became Sarah instead of Sarai. So the name before wasn't so good. Now it became a much better name. Oh, the blessing came. See right away the name. I know seven guys who their name is Erzel. Erzel was one of the most wicked Jews in history. One of the most wicked Jews in history. Even though he fought very badly to get Israel a state, in a polit- from political point of view, in his diary, it's called Alt Neuland. He wrote a diary, a book, a famous book. It's all over in many languages. He wrote that his plan was to convert all the Jews to Christians. 
He even sent a letter to the Pope, give me some times. We will overcome the anti-Semitism by raising the new generation to be pure Catholics. And that will prevent the racism and the anti-Semitism. What a fool. The Jews were always suffering no matter what they did, whether they're poor, they were rich, when they were very religious, when they're not so religious, when they were in power, when they were low lives, down to earth, doesn't matter. Why the Jews always suffer? Because God doesn't give us rest. Because when a person sits and smokes a cigar and is wealthy and nobody runs after him, he doesn't need God. When people remember Hashem, when, they, when Ahmed is coming with his rifle, then people begin to scream. This is it. That's life. A person he lives in a mansion with his servant, he has time for God. He has come to come to the shul 7 o'clock every morning. It's reality. So, this is one thing. Second thing is, it says like this, how do we know that changing your deeds make you automatically get rid of the bad decrees that you're supposed to get? When God sent Jonah, John the prophet, to the city of Nineveh, the pro- it's a Jewish prophet. He sends it to a city of Gentiles. All of them were not Jews. And they were very wicked. So the Jewish prophet told them, God giving you 40 days to repent. By the 40th day from now, it will destroy this place completely. The king called all his people. They all came to listen to the word of the Jewish prophet. And they decided to make tshuva, repentance. They started to fast, they wore a sack, they put ashes on their head. And they changed their bad things. They used to steal, they used to cheat, they, I don't know, idols, whatever they used to do bad. They changed. And what did God say to the prophet after the 40 days? No, am I going to destroy them or not? The answer is no. No more reasons to destroy them. What did he say to him? Vayar et ma'asehem. And God reviewed their actions, not their fasts. Thousands of goyim fasting. It's important, but not so much. Wearing a sack, not so much. Putting ashes on their head, not so important. Screaming to God, very important. What's the most important thing? Changing their bad ways. You're a thief, you're stopping, you stop, you're not stealing anymore. You're worshipping an idol, you smash the idol and you scream to the real God. You speak gossip all day, you stop. You cruel to your wife, you become a great husband. You begin to help, you begin to share, to participate, to support, mentally and physically. You become more generous, you give more donation. You know, people think, ah, I'm, I'm going to be nice to the whole world except to my wife. They don't understand that the first thing God judging them is how they are in the house. Because you have a bigger obligation to be good to your family members than to strangers and foreigners, even to your brothers and sisters. Because the chesed, the real chesed, starts from your closest people, not from somebody across the street. It's also important. Where does it say it in the Torah? It says, there's a list of, of, uh, of, uh, there's a list of, of chasadim, of kindness, that Hashem orders us to do, but it comes in the right order. The ones who are closer to you comes before somebody from another city. And there's a list. If you have, uh, your son needs help and the son of your neighbor, you must help your son. You cannot say, oh, I love the other boy better. Your son comes first. 
Your wife comes first before her sister, or before the neighbor, or before your sister, or before your mother. Before your mother also, because the Torah says once you get married, your parents become secondary. How about if they closest, the other person, the closest one is far, but uh, by the way you're going, you have to help? No, it, it not, doesn't go by, de, by distance, by, by territorial distance. We're not speaking about five miles or a hundred miles. It's speaking in relation, in relative. Your sister can be somewhere else. And you have, yeah, but you have to understand one thing. The most important thing is first, a person, once he gets married, it's his wife. And the wife, it's her husband. Even though he was a great son to his parents, he treated them, he helped them financially, physically, mentally, anything. Now, if, there is, if it collides between the wife and the parents, the wife comes first. It says in the Torah, He leaves his father and mother and sticks to his wife. If he's nicer to his parents on the expense of his wife, it's not a mitzvah for him. It's an avera, it's a sin. Understand? Even if he goes to make the biggest mitzvah in Judaism to save the life of a person, but his wife sit every night and cry at home, it doesn't count for him a mitzvah. Who told me that? In the name of the biggest rabbi in the world that passed away 12, 12 years ago, he told it to my cousin. He used to go give lectures and make people religious. He told him, your wife is happy with that? He told him, not so much. Sometimes it's too much for her. So he told him, so you're not allowed to go. Maximum twice a week, not more than that. He said, but Rabbi, you're comparing being with my wife, drinking soup or something, then saving souls? What's the comparison? He said, no, that's the test. It comes before everything. Only if you satisfy her, you make her happy, you buy her, you give her, you make agreements with her, you come more and during the day on the expense of not being there at night, then you can go. But if she disagrees, you have to work on it. There's nothing you can do. I was shocked when I heard this. It was a big surprise for me. But it just shows you that people do not understand. Now, I want to ask you, where is the common sense here? Why it's so important? Why the wife is so important? Why it's like your second God? Why is it? The connection quickly goes to heaven. No, but what's the main reason? Because everything that you have in your life, everything that you have in your life connects to her. The blessing... The children, the education of the children, how your children's going to turn out, your laundry, your food, your house, the cleaning of the house, supporting you, behind you, crying, praying for the house. Everything somehow starts and ends with her. If you're ungrateful to the person who you owe the most, and you're very grateful to people who did hardly anything for you, you're a hypocrite. What are you? You're nothing. You want something from him. One day you need to shop in his store. You want a discount. That's why you're nice. Over here, right? You don't get the honor. If you do something for your wife, she's not standing in front of all the guests. Excuse me, my husband is an angel. He bought me a ring yesterday. That's all. You don't get the appreciation. Like, so that's why. Ah, what do you need? What do you need? This is it. So anyway, so it says here like this. They change their actions. Kishavu they return from their evil way. They return. That's why God forgive them. And, and God changed his mind for the bed that he wanted to bring to them and did not bring it. 
and שינוי מקום, changing a place. You live in a cursed apartment. Mr. Bruce Lee used to live there with his Buddha, bowing down to this Buddha, kissing his feet every day, sacrificing flowers and dollars to the Buddha, to the statue, when God cannot stand statues. So what happened? The house automatically is cursed. There's no blessing. It's negative energy over there. So you see, since you move to that house, everything is blocked. You're, everything is blocked. Your business, your, your depression, this. What's going on? Before I was so happy, I moved here. What's the solution? Sometimes you check the mezuzot, you, you check yourself, you check everything. Still cursed. Everything is blocked. Oh, you move out. Life is blooming. Why is it? Because sometimes changing the place brings good, good luck to a person, or changing a state to state, or country to country. Where do we learn it from? And God said to Abraham, Lech lecha, go. And after that, I will make you a huge nation. Over here, I cannot make you a nation where you are. What's the problem? Make me here a father of, of, of a billion people. What's the problem for you? You cannot make me here a grandfather? You need to go, you need to get, to let me go over there? I remember when, when I made my first film 11 years ago, well, it's by now maybe 12 years ago already. It's the first time somebody ever made a film for Kiruv, for making Balet Shuvah. Nobody before believed that through videos you can make people religious. So it was all cassette, cassettes of lectures. It used to be before CDs. And it was books. Mainly people, still people had patience to read books. Today most people don't have patience to read books anymore. But uh, with all the electronic around us, the brain is not capable of reading so much anymore. So yeah, it's all become visual today. So when we made that, the guy that made the film, he was uh, fair, almost 36, single, not married. He was a movie star, he was a producer in Hollywood, he left everything, he became religious, and now he wants to make the film. I went to Israel, he filmed me over there, he was editing the film. It was very primitive, not like today you have all this computer software. What you can do in an hour used to take a week. But finally, after 300 hours that he finished the film, I was keep telling him, why don't you go on a date? They're offering him dates to get married, to get married. So he says, don't worry, I don't have time to get married right now. <laughs> but I promise you, uh, the day I will finish the movie, first thing I'm going to do in try to, is try to get married. He was so urgent to him. L'Shem Shammai, 100% free of charge. Not for money, not for anything. He was a beginner. Uh, uh, he was only a few months religious, not even. So the week that he finished the movie, he got engaged. That <laughs> week. Ah, mazal tov, I'm engaged. The, he finished with one thing, he moving to another place, he moved to another place, he went to another yeshiva, he changed the luck, it opened everything for him, and that's it. Okay, we finished so far, we're still next week in Masechet Rosh Hashanah, I'll give you a preview of next week. Next week we're going to speak about uh, some proofs from the Torah, how the trial of a person works in Rosh Hashanah. We spoke about some of it before Rosh Hashanah. We're going to speak about what comes in the afterlife, heaven and hell, and what happens to the righteous people, what happened to the wicked people, what happened to people who, who modify the Torah or rebel against the Torah, 
uh, and it's of course with all with proofs of people from history, what was their end. And we're going to speak about who is considered a criminal by the Jewish nation, who is considered a criminal by the Gentiles. Who is God calling a criminal? Like I just said before, a goy that eats not kosher is not a criminal. It can be a righteous goy. He eats whatever he wants. There's no limitation. Uh, even though I heard one priest speaking to his church, and he said to them, how is it possible that we eat pork? Can one person here explain to me how do we dare to touch this filthy animal, impure animal? The priest saying he, he didn't have uh, such a small audience. He had over there maybe, I don't know, maybe 5,000 people sitting in a big auditorium over there with a microphone, very presentable. So he said to them, why am I saying it? We all know that God gave the Torah to the Jews. And he gave them the Torah, and he told the Jews not to do ABC. One of the things he told them, don't touch this filthy animal. Don't eat it. It's, a, it's the worst animal. Don't eat it. If God told the Jews don't eat these animals, don't we have to be clever to understand that it's not good to stay away from it, even though he didn't tell us? I tell you, if I was there, I would go and give him a kiss. <laughs> Finally, somebody who thinks... Why not all of them understand that? I asked one time ago, why don't you observe the Sabbath? You a Christian, right? Don't you believe that God gave the Torah to the Jews? You call it the Old Testament, right? You have the same exact book, same text, just in English or in Russian. What difference does it make? The, the American Jews have the same thing in English, word by word. So don't you see that God said to the people, to his children, to observe the Sabbath? It's a covenant. Why don't you do it? So they begin to say, oh, you know, they are uh, the seven-day observance, you know, <laughs> it begins, but what about you? Right away, he runs away. <laughs> he doesn't have answer. Why you eat not kosher? Why you do this? Why you do this? They don't have answers. Never thought before, hey, why don't I do it? So I have news for you. Every Christian who wanted to be a faithful Christian, religious Christian, first thing he has to do in order for him to be an observant of Christianity is keep all the Jewish laws plus extra. All the Jewish laws and extra. Where does it say it in the New Testament? And Matthew 5, J.C. spoke to his followers and he said like this, and we'll finish with this. God forbid, I did not come to modify the Torah. I did not erase one letter or add one letter or even a part of the letter. If anyone modify the Torah and teach otherwise to people, will be cursed in the kingdom of heaven, which means God will curse him. So how can it be that the Christians don't even keep one of the laws that we keep? If it's their God, if they believe in him, if they follow him, if they believe he's going to save them, why don't they listen to him? Imagine a person has his wife and he says, I love you very much. You are my wife, we made a covenant, I gave you a ring, I gave you a contract, I, whatever. And every day he spits on her, he beats her up, he doesn't give her money, he doesn't help her in any way. But I love you, I, words, beautiful words, I love you, you're my life. Up, oh, boom, boom. She needs a husband like this. She'd rather get a husband like he's quiet like a fish, but keep his hands to himself. She doesn't want somebody like this. 
What's the point? Oh, JC, we love you. They put stickers on the car. And when he told his followers, you must listen to the Torah. Nobody is allowed to change it one bit. Oh, 2,000 years later, nothing. Not even one mitzvah they keep. Why? Nobody thinks. What are we doing? If this is my hero, how can I not listen to him? Besides the fact that he was nothing, that's besides the point. Besides, it's besides the point that he wasn't there, he couldn't help himself. He can help the world, but that's besides that. That's already the debate that I had. But other than that, little common sense. If this is your hero, you must stick to what he told you 100%, especially when you believe he's divine. Thank you very much. We'll see you next Wednesday. Please.